everyone, and welcome back to So Emo I Fell Apart, a podcast dedicated to all things emo and pop punk from the Naughty Yachties. And today, I'm one of your hosts, Rhea. I am one of your other hosts, Chloe. And what are we talking about today, Chloe? Gym class heroes. Woo! This is very exciting. Yeah, I've been waiting to talk about these guys for a little while. I, like, fucking love gym class heroes so much. They played a festival here once that I got to go to. I mean, I've seen them a few times, but then playing a festival here was crazy because our festivals are famously not good. Um, <laughs> and they're just, they're so fucking good live. Like, they're so cool. I'm so angry I never got to see them live. So angry. When they make a comeback, it's fucking over. And and it's coming. And we're going to get- And it's coming! We're going to get to that. We're going to get into that. <clears throat> and uh, if you want to hear us eventually talk about that comeback, what you should do is subscribe, follow, et cetera, et cetera, on your podcatcher choice. So you're always updated when a new episode goes live. Look at that. Natty plug. Love it. I'm getting better at doing it at the top of the episode. <laughs> I'm so talented. I'm a real podcast host now. You're a natural. <laughs> I'm a natural. Also, if you want to talk about doing class here with us online, use hashtag so emo pod on either Instagram or Twitter. And you can also add us at so emo pod on both those things. Hell yeah. And I didn't even use the script. I love it. You got. We are. We're truly in the shit now. You nailed it. <sighs> I'm so good at this. So yeah, gym class heroes. We're going to talk all about the uh, history, formation, rise, fall, rise again mm-hmm. of gym class heroes. So let's get into it. Let's get fucking into it. Um. So I love it when I get to say that a band started in 1997. It um <laughs> feels both good and bad. <laughs> it feels bad. I was five. Um Yeah, I was uh two. <laughs> yeah. Um so they founded Gym Class Heroes after uh rapper Travis McCoy and drummer Matt McGinley met in their grade nine gym class in Geneva, New York. Um Travis at the time I want to say he would have been 14 or 15 at this point was also fully like apprenticing at a tattoo studio. No shit. Um, Yeah. He talked about this a little bit on the uh, one life, one chance podcast where he's like, yeah, like I was working at a tattoo studio and like I had a couple tattoos already. And I'm like, who was letting you do this? Like 1997 was a different time. It really was. And I'm like, were you just like a very tall teenager? Cause like Travis McCoy is about a thousand feet tall so he's so fucking tall like i'm wondering if he was just like so large that he showed up to be like i want to be an apprentice and they were like yeah like, of course you're 25 year old <laughs> or like i don't know if he had parental permission or what um that is what he was up to um what a fucking place to grow up yeah this is all the way nearly by buffalo yeah it's like i don't know like when i think of upstate new york it sounds very like fancy to me it i never think of it as a place where they would let a 15 year old work at a tattoo studio. (laughs) okay so here's the thing about upstate new york is people who are who live in new york city consider anything that's not new york city or long island to be upstate new york (laughs) so and you look at it on the map and you see how large of a state new york is that means the entirety of it cannot be upstate new york yeah i know some people who are from the actual like main state of new york consider some parts of it to be central new york west new york and then upstate new york uh central new york is kind of like where you get the catskills and stuff Mm -hmm. so 
like right over the Jersey border, like where Port Jervis is and everything. Some people don't consider that upstate New York. I consider that upstate New York because it's far enough away from the city and there's mountains there. So yeah, <laughs> there's that. And then you also have the part of the state that's like the Adirondacks, which is nearly up in Canada. Mm-hmm. And then you have the other part of the state, which is like Buffalo and where like it borders Pennsylvania. So I don't know. There's like and like where Rochester is and shit like that. There's like three different New Yorks and all of them disagree about what New York actually is. Yeah. It's like how uh, nobody can agree on what the Midwest is. I personally think it's like anything west of Ohio. I would, I would think also that it needs to be Ohio, middle and west. It's also the Midwest. But people use Midwest to fully mean like the northeast the part of, the country. of your country. Oh yeah, that's basically all that it is. Like if it's not border if it's not bordering an ocean and it's not below like Oklahoma, you're in the Midwest. But then also at the same time like Colorado isn't a part of the Midwest. That's Which is wild, because Colorado is more west than any other state that is called Midwest. Yes. I would start considering that, like, where the west portion of the country begins. And it's also, I think it's, it might be called the gateway to the west. That also might be a different state. That might be Nebraska. But, like, that's where you start, whenever you start getting into, like, Colorado and start driving through, you're like, oh, this is where westerns take place mm. kind of thing. Yeah. Like, that's the vibe. Some people disagree with that, but I'm like, listen, if your town's tourist areas look like fucking Frontierland at Disneyland, <laughs> you're the west. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is what, like, truly the first time I ever visited Colorado and then, like, drove through it significantly because I've driven through, like, a shit ton of parts of Colorado at this point. Um, I turned to my mom was like, oh, mom, why does this look so much like Frontierland? It's just like Frontierland and Disneyland. She's like, where do you think they based it off of? And mm-hmm. I'm like, got me there. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, not to, not to keep talking about like United States geography, because I feel like I always have to like lay out the groundwork for you. <laughs> to because understand. It's, it's a fucking mystery to me. It's insanity if you're not from here. And then Americans, of course, react like we're the center of the world. Yeah. We assume that everyone understands what we, what we mean when we talk about our regional portions of it. And yeah. I'm like, no one fucking understands. It's like someone who's ta- who's like maybe from like England or something talking to me about like, oh, those shitty people from like, for instance, like Manchester. And I'm like, I don't know where that is in your <laughs> country. It's all London and soup to me, baby. Like, I, don't, I got nothing for you. Yeah. I mean, same with here. Like... If I'm ever like, oh, yeah, they're from Gatineau. Like, everyone here knows what I mean by that. But, like, you probably don't. Yo, what? Yeah. What province is that in? Gatineau is in uh, Quebec, but it's, like, kind of attached to Ottawa. Um, Oh, okay. Yeah. There was, like, a Netflix show that I was watching once where, like, some kids were going on a field trip to Ottawa. And they were all, like, super excited. And their teacher was like, I know that you're actually just excited because you're going to take the bus into Gatineau and get drunk. And it's like, (laughs) oh, yeah, that is what they do in Ottawa. Oh, do you guys have a different, does Quebec and Ottawa have a different drinking age? Uh, yeah, the entire rest of Canada, it's 19, and in Quebec, it's 18. Oh. And in Gat- oh, I didn't realize this yours was 19. Yeah. And in Gatineau, since they, like, basically don't card, because, like, everyone who's going there is a teenager who's going there to drink illegally, like, they just, you can be there at, like, 15 and rock up. And they and just, just like, don't give a yeah, shit. Yeah, they're like, whatever. That's wild. Yeah. We... Like, it's so crazy to me that our drinking age is, like, the 21 thing 
is relatively recent, actually. And it's stupid like, as hell. <laughs> it's so, so stupid. I remember once I had to write a, per- like, we were learning about persuasive essays in school, mm-hmm. which is basically a, a the baby way of saying you're going to be writing thesis papers for the rest of your fucking life. Mm-hmm. And you need to be able to argue something. Yeah. And I remember, I think it was, like, early high school or, like, late middle school, it was, like, a standardized test, and we, or it was a standardized test practice, and, like, one half of the class was, like, maintain the 21, like, drinking age or lower it, and I was on the lowering it side, and, like, I wrote a really good essay about, like, actually just, like, making the drinking age 21 makes it more enticing to break the law and to encourage underage drinking, and, like, parents, like, are much more hard asses on these on kids until they're 21, which they're a legal adult, to mm-hmm. drink alcohol. It just makes alcohol abuse worse by restricting it more. Mm-hmm. Because that's how human psychology works. And my teacher was like, no, you're going to get not a great essay, uh, not a great grade on this because I don't even like that you were well arguing this point. It was very stupid. Yeah. But I love that they had us talking about that at like 15. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it was just to lower the drinking age to 18. I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You're going to move away from home for the first time and you're considered a legal adult. You should be able to use substances. Yeah. If you're a legal adult. Yeah. Like, who gives a shit? Anyway. Anyway. Um, back back to Jim Plus <laughs> Heroes. I got so caught off guard by the being in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, yeah, <laughs> upstate New York. Genuinely from all. nowhere. Um, so in an interview with the trades conducted at the Fort Lauderdale stop of the Fueled by Ramen and Friends tour in 2005, uh, Travi describes the band's inception. Uh, he said, we met when we were kids still. We actually got together. My band played a party that Ryan, our bass player, and Matt, our drummer, they were in another band. They were playing. They didn't have a singer or anything. They just played instrumentals. I grabbed the microphone and started rapping, and we got together about a week later, and we've been together ever since, pretty much. Hell yeah. So the lineup at this point was uh, Ryan... Uh, what was his last name? Geis? Geese? Um, I think so. Matt McGinley, Travis McCoy, and um, a guitarist named Milo Bonacci, who I think left pretty early on and went on to form Ra Ra Riot. Oh, shit. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that was, like, the original baby Gym Class Heroes lineup. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so at this time, the band produced two demo discs, Her Candy in 1999 and Greasy Kid Stuff in 2000, and a self-released LP, dot, 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 for the kids in 2001. Uh, These are still floating around online, and they make it obvious that Gym Class Heroes nailed their sound very early on, which is a combo of emo and pop punk guitars, reggae bass and drums hip-hop and that kind of at this point that combination of sounds has never had never really been done before nor has it ever quite been replicated by anyone else since gym class heroes Mm -hmm. which is sick that they've it's in the scene with pop punk and emo and any other kind of alt music that we talk about it is very hard for a band to distinguish themselves and make themselves sound different enough from the other bands and stand out. So it's really impressive that Jim Class had this kind of unique perspective so early on before, like, I think, like, third wave emo even really started properly mm-hmm. to, like, have this perspective on the scene and on music. And it's so fucking cool. 
Yeah, genuinely. Like, because they were playing shows with, like, all different kinds of bands. Like, their first paid gig was opening for Run DMC. Which is insane. That's nuts. That's fucking wild. Yeah. Like, that doesn't happen. <laughs> like, like that, it, it really doesn't. And it's just, like, it's very impressive. It speaks to, like, I don't know. They have talked about how they think that their first albums are kind of all over the place. And they're, like, we hadn't, like found what we wanted to sound like and we were just kind of like doing like a pop song and then like a rap song and then a jazz song and it's like i don't know i listened to it and i'm like no like you guys had it like you knew what you were doing like you've gotten better at it but like you you had the combination you had the sound Mm -hmm. also at this point like i didn't realize this they were not only just like they not just opening for uh run dmc but they also did it. Oh, wait, no. Take it back. Take it back. I read the timeline wrong. My bad. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm going to cut that out. Do, do, do. Right. Um, so from that same interview with the trades from 2005, uh, Travis says, we were talking to a few labels before we got signed to Fuel by Ramen, but this is really weird how we got signed. This kid, Nick, who actually designed our website, he was going to do merch design for us. I want everyone to remember the name Nick. Um. <laughs> We sent him a CD to give him a taste of what... This is an important clue for later. (laughs) It is. We sent him a CD to give him a taste of what we do, to give him some inspiration or whatever. He was friends with Pete in Fallout Boy. He let Pete listen to it, and Pete really liked it. Um, So he played it for everybody at Fuel by Ramen, and he played it for Crush, who's our management and who manages Fallout Boy too. so we were super lucky. The Nick mentioned here is a former member of Chicago band The 504 Plan. Mm-hmm. which you may which, remember as john walker's band okay so exactly um tom cardi from the academy is was also in that band mm-hmm. um nick then went into like web design he designed fallout boys website as well as gym class heroes website nick was friends with pete because nick designed the bart skull i didn't know that nick designed the bart skull that's yeah. crazy yeah fuck um so like he did a bunch of uh like merch work for uh clandestine and, like, I mean, I don't know if he designed it by himself or if he helped Pete design it, because I'm sure that Pete already had, like, kind of an image or a theme in mind. Um, but, yeah, Nick is, like, in the fucking scene. The thing is about whenever we talk about early emo and like early pop punk, I say early as in, like, before 2005. Yeah. Is that everyone fucking knows each other. Yeah. There's everyone like knows each people. other. It's ten people and... They all, like, are in... They all have band breakups and they have different bands together. Like, this is why I consider the larger, like, Fueled by Ramen, like, extended family Mm -hmm. network basically just be one super band. Yeah. Because, like, (laughs) everyone knows someone who knew someone 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 to get into the position that they are today. Yeah. Or at that time to where they were. And it's just the web of people. I feel like Charlie Day... Mm-hmm. in fucking and like uh pepe sylvia yeah every single time i think too hard about the web of people well no exactly because it's like they just happened to have this guy design their website who was from chicago and was designing websites for bands so obviously he knows pete once mm-hmm. because there were 10 people in emo at this point <laughs> and they were all in chicago yeah it was they were like all they were in, chicago in chicago or, they're or all new jersey or new jersey <laughs> that's it and maybe sometimes Long Island. Yeah. But that's it. Mm-hmm. All right. And then wanna... so, yeah, I'll grab this one. And then so if you hadn't listened to our first ever episode of the podcast where we give our own oral history of the oral history of Decadence, 
Uh, we mentioned Jim Cause Heroes a lot in that episode, but like just to reiterate, like even further about the record signing and like the the inception of Jim Class Heroes and them getting more popular, this is a quote from Oral History of Decadence. Jim Class was doing the old school, sending out demos to underground or independent hip hop labels. They were like, it's not what we're looking for. So we started sending them to anyone and Feel by Ramen hit us back. We started talking with John Janik, founder of Feel by Ramen and Crush, the management company. And we got a call the day that we finished writing and recording Chupa's Chokehold. Like, yo, Fall Out Boy wanted to play with them in Davenport, Iowa, which is fucking up of all places. Mm-hmm. We were in Buffalo, New York. So it was a three day track. Like, we talked about this in the beginning of this podcast that like, Pete Wentz's whole ethos and philosophy behind, like, and his impact on Feel My Ramen and then later to Cadence is that he had this mentality of, like, I'm going to build a label that functions how hip-hop labels function. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to collect all the bands in the scene that don't sound exactly the way that everyone else in the scene sounds, but they deserve a place here anyway. So it makes sense. And obviously, like, that... Jim Cross Heroes, a sound that had never really been done before, was going to go into Cadence Records mm-hmm. and given a home where they could really flourish and thrive, similar to the other, quote unquote, weird sounding bands of that era. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people like point to Panic of the Disco as like the first band that was signed to Decadence. Some people will even say that Decadence was founded for Panic so that Pete would have somewhere to put them. Um, no, Pete was already nope. talking Revision about history. it. And it was when he heard Gym Class Heroes that he started, like, for real talking about it with John Janik, the founder of Fuel by Ramen, um, after he heard Taxi Driver, um, the song that famously references about every single emo band that you can think of in 2004. When an emo night plays, if they ever actually, because when you go to an emo night, they very rarely ever actually play Gym Class Heroes. Mm-hmm. But if in, if they do... And they don't play Taxi Driver. It's a fucking disservice because it is like the most fun song to sing along to when you're in a crowd with a bunch of other emos. Yeah. Like, ah, I know this one. Mm-hmm. He said the thing. It's like saying the title of the game or the title of the book or movie and a thing. Yeah. It's like, ah, you. <laughs> it literally will just list like every single emo band. Like it's so, it's so good. And he's described that song as like bait in that like it'll kind of get people to listen to his band because they're like, oh, he like references all of my favorite bands. So they'll listen Mm -hmm. to this song that they might not have listened to otherwise, because like if you're predominantly listening to like emo and pop punk, you probably aren't also listening to a ton of hip hop. So he was like, this is the thing that gets them in the door and then they enjoy it and they listen to the rest of my music and they kind of branch out a little bit. And I won't lie, like Jim Class Heroes kind of was my gateway into like opening up my horizons and the genres i was listening to when i was that age mm-hmm. and i was like i was fully so resistant to what i call middle school dance music yeah of like florida and t-pain and like any sort of significant rap star at the time mm-hmm. i didn't care for it and then i listened to gym class heroes i was like oh wait you're you're doing this with emo music the thing that i like and it sounds really cool oh my god okay and then i started to actually like take rap seriously and hip-hop seriously mm-hmm. <laughs> which like sucks to say but travis is right yeah it is bait got mm-hmm. me into it yeah i mean he did it um so i wrote shortly after but it's kind of around the same time that they were signing to decadence um mm-hmm. they were changing their lineup the uh guitarist milo left to go do Ra Ra riot and they added lead guitarist disashi lamumba kasango 
um, and started recording the Paper Cut Chronicles as they got signed. The first song that they wrote on their first day of rehearsal with Dasashi was Cupid's Chokehold. And that is like the song of 2004, yeah. like 2005. That, that song was inescapable on the radio. That is the Dasashi difference because he showed up and was like, hey, does everyone here fuck with Supertramp? And they were like, yes, we all fuck with Supertramp. And they're like playing Breakfast in America and just kind of were like, we can do something here. We can riff yeah. on this a little bit. And and then they did. Song and it's of so all time, fucking good. Chokeholds comes into existence. So there was a Dasashi difference. Yeah. Obviously. Like he was the secret sauce that like, obviously the band was doing great because they, you know, opened for Run DMC. Mm-hmm. But everything kind of changed when Dasashi joined the band. Yeah. Just incredible. Incredible talent. Really good guitarist. Super versatile. Um, and obviously blended really well with like how Travis has like a billion influences from all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, he just meshed very well with what they were already doing. Yeah. And like then you go listen to what Ra Ra Riot was doing. You're like, ah, there's a reason why you left the band. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they just wanted to do different shit. It's fine. It's totally fine. It's normal. I'm doubting their... I don't know. There hasn't been a tell-all yet. Yeah. Uh, that there was any bad blood when uh, Ryan left the band to go join, uh, start Ra Ra Riot. Yeah, but I doubt it. I doubt it. So, Taxi Driver, Song of All Time, if you were not a Jim Class Heroes fan and you want to start listening to them and beyond Cuba's Chokehold, because I would be shocked if you are listening to this podcast and you haven't at least, bare minimum, heard Cupid's Chokehold, mm-hmm. because that was... Or... Uh, no, it was just mostly Cupid's Chocolate. I think they got like, the most widespread radio play. I would encourage you to go listen to Taxi Driver and be like, ah, mm-hmm. this. Yeah. It's so good. And so Taxi Driver ends up being on their first EP with Decadence that was released in late 2004 uh, called the Papercut EP. Uh, it had Taxi Driver, Papercuts, Makeup Club, and Boomerang Theory on it. And Boomerang Theory is featured as a bonus track on certain editions of the paper cut chronicles as a b-side on the close off single yeah that was the other one i was thinking of the other song oh yeah close off i was like like i know that the song is called close off mm-hmm. but i was like but what if i'm wrong so yeah. i just didn't say the name of the song title Nah, close off um another patrick stump joint oh yeah so in 2005 the paper cut chronicles finally drops um, at this point, Eric Roberts has replaced original bassist Ryan Geese, Geis, I don't know how he says that, giving us the Gym Class Heroes lineup that we're going to see from 2005 to about 2018 uh, when the band goes on hiatus. Eric Roberts, by the way, super impossible to Google because Julia Roberts also has a brother named Eric Roberts. Oh, okay. <laughs> who you will know from the Mr. Brightside video. He's the guy in that video it, no shit yes damn yeah <laughs> the scene really is i'm four saying. people and julia roberts's brother <laughs> like the fucking web that is woven is so first off it starts with joe biden yeah yeah it's like it's, we got joe biden we got julia roberts who else is in here i don't know everybody fucking everybody Everyone. oh like jason schwartzman yeah is jason definitely schwartzman. in here by extension, all of the Coppolas. Yep. By what's extension, the, Nick Cage. What's his, like, uh, his, I don't know if it was his brother or, like, a cousin who's in Rooney, the one who plays Michael in uh, Princess Diaries? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if that's his brother or his cousin Robert either. Robert but, but he's, yeah. but he's a, a part of that whole thing. Yeah. It's, 
It's fucking so incredible. So you have like the Rooney and then like Phantom Planet connection. Yeah. Everyone knows each other. The fact <laughs> there that are no strangers. Travis's cousin is Tyga. That's crazy. Like, <laughs> also, what did, a fucking whirlwind. Did what City? did Travis re- <laughs> like what did Travis unleash upon the I world when know. he was like He was like, "Hey Pete, my cousin Tyga is also a rapper. Yeah. And you should take a chance on him. And he's not as good as me. <laughs> and he's not as good as me, but a lot of shit's gonna happen with him. And he's your problem now. Do you remember when not he mine. went on friendsyourenemies.com and posted a video of him like eating a hundred dollar bill? Yes. And people oh were my like, God. dude, like you're probably gonna be fine, but like you shouldn't record yourself eating money because that is like a federal crime. A federal offense. Also, it's so gross. It's so gross. Just, like it's so gross. I don't care about it being a crime so much as I care about it just being oh, disgusting. Like, ugh, gross. Yeah. But also, okay. So getting back to 2005, yeah. we're getting ahead of ourselves with Tiger coming into the mix. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. So in the midst of this, in 2005, Travis was present for Pete Wentz's long drive to Vegas to meet with Panic at the Disco. And encouraging Pete to sign them. Yeah. So Panic... Uh, so Dream Class Heroes is at the scene of the crime. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it makes... I honestly think like, it does make a lot of sense for Travis to have been there for the meeting at, with Panic. Because mm-hmm. I'm sure that there was some sort of conversation about Pete knowing that Travis, as well as he, has a respect for a blending of genres. And, like, having a, having the ear for a different kind of sound for the scene. Exactly. And, like- and then... And then We've talked ad nauseum about <laughs> uh, Panic! at the Disco's first album, mm-hmm. but, like, it makes sense. Yeah. And especially, like, given the fact that it was really just, like, Pete and Gym Class Heroes on the label at that point. It's like, of course, he's bringing mm-hmm. Travis to be like, this is the other band I'm looking at. Like, what do you think? Like, does it vibe? Do you think that this makes sense to have on the same label as you? And right. I mean, I think that Travis looking at it was like, well, yeah, because they these guys also don't have anywhere to go, really. Like, exactly. there's no radio station that plays this. There's no sampler that makes sense to have this on it because, like, they don't sound like anything else. Exactly. The same way the gym class heroes doesn't sound like anything else. So, like, this is going to be music for people who are looking for something that is just fucking different. So, like, of course, like, that's the thing they have in common. From here. Yeah. Uh, Gym Class's Heroes' rise is tied to the other bands on FBR and Decadence, as well as the broader emo scene. They played South by Southwest, 2005, alongside Hawthorne Heights, Promise that episode's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. It's just a long one. <laughs> Fall Out Boy, Under Oath, Anne Berlin, May, Plain White Tees, Circus Survive, and, like, so many more bands. Mm-hmm. And then they also played at Warp 2005, the most infamous Warped of all time, mm-hmm. alongside we fucking know who. Yeah. We know what's up with when we do the Warp Tour 2005 episode. Yeah. It's going to be fucking our magnum opus. Yeah. Mikey Way hate moment back for one single second while we just say that he was Oh, absolutely. He was present for Gym Class Heroes playing on Warp Tour 2005. How dare you? That rat that little rat <laughs> bastard is everywhere we look. Yeah. He, you can't escape him. Mhm. He was I mean, at the, all the parties with, like, Travis and Gabe and William and, you know, the whole... With Decadence all the other tall, lanky dudes in the band. ...adjacent boy toy crew. The thing is that, like, Travis, Gabe, and William are all, like, six foot plus, and Mikey is fully, like, 5'7 or some shit, so, like... <laughs> and he just looks enormous. Because <laughs> he's just, like, 
<laughs> the rest of my camp. He M. looks like you hung him up on a rack or something and like stretched him out. That's why. Like a clothesline. Yeah. They just pinned him up just... by his ankles yep. and just let him dangle for a little bit. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> or they put him in like the uh, the medieval torture device yeah. that like, stretches you out. <laughs> I need that shit from my back so bad. They need to bring that back, yeah. but only for chiropractic. Yeah. <laughs> We need that ghost that invented chiropractic to chiropractic <laughs> to come back and be like, you have to bring back the the rack. You have to bring back the stretchy rack. The stretchy and rack. It's it good back. for my back. Yeah, but isn't like that crazy like inverted like it was like a probably like the Bowflex family of products like at home fitness equipment that you could call in for on an infomercial mm-hmm. that would like flip you upside down yeah and shut your back that yeah, way you mean like it's the like one that. that i have upstairs right now that i get on a couple times a week yeah yeah gag okay <laughs> yeah that thing i i hang upside down like a vampire bat every so often because i do a lot of sitting and a lot of standing and uh that probably feels so good it does i'm like two inches taller afterwards i don't know if there's any medical evidence that it is good for me or that it is actually accomplishing anything but it feels good so i do it here's the thing i like i know that chiropractics is a little bit of snake oil it's a lot snake oil because it is a lot by a ghost ghost a ghost told a guy you have to snap people's bones but like Part of it does actually work. You just can't just you can't just do the bone cracking. It needs to be with like the adjustments need to be with another thing. Yeah. And most chiropractors don't do the other thing, which is physical therapy and therapeutic massage. Yeah. Like, like I've gotten very lucky in that, like anyone I've ever seen who's done like adjustments on my bones has also been like an actual accredited like physiotherapist and masseuse who like has studied anatomy and isn't going to snap my neck so hard that I have a stroke. But exactly. You know. <laughs> yeah. No, the, the, you need to do both. Cause yeah. like you're the reason why your bones move is because your muscles aren't strong enough to hold them in place mm-hmm. or the, the muscles just like are so tight that they lock up and won't let the bones move out of their bad place because your body's gotten so used to them being in the wrong place. Yeah. I'm thinking about this mostly because I, I went to the gym last night and my shoulders hurt so bad. I'm like, I need to be pummeled mm-hmm. and cracked yeah. so badly. Yeah. I need the ghost. I need the ghost to come uh, snap my back for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway. You do need it. It's just, it feels I do so good. It. it feels so good. And then somehow at the same time as all this chiropractic talk is going on, in 2005, radio stations started picking Jim Class Heroes up. If you were alive during 2005 and were cognizant of radio play back when radio play actually mattered still, you probably heard Cupid's Chokehold. And that was the song that, as we mentioned earlier, broke the band through to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It was the song they recorded for their first album and uh, featured Patrick Stump singing Supertramp because Patrick Stump loves to be on a little feature. Yeah, he loves to produce. He loves to feature. He loves to just go hog wild on that microphone, mm-hmm. doing doing riffs that no one else could sing. Yeah, except for him. Yeah, except for him and Supertramp. He's like nailing yeah. the uh, oh yeah, Breakfast in America chorus on this song. Like, it's just those two guys. Mm-hmm. But the reason why Patrick is on that song is because Patrick had loved Travi and uh, Jim Costiers immediately and wanted to work with them, and Cuba's Chocolate was a perfect fit. 
And Travis has mentioned in a few places that he was a little unsure about working with Patrick until he met him, which was the day that Ray Charles died. Mm -hmm. And Patrick was crying in his dressing room about it. Yeah. And that was what convinced (laughs) Travis that they would get each other. It's so funny. (laughs) All these interviews where he's like, I don't know about this because like... I don't know, like, if you, I guess if you haven't met Patrick and you've only heard Fall Out Boy and you haven't read about him, which at the time there wouldn't have been much to read. No. You wouldn't know that he has this, like, incredibly vast knowledge of, like, all different genres of music and this, like, incredible Mm -hmm. appreciation for all different genres of music. So I can see being like, I want to do hip hop. I don't know that this, like, little pop punk white boy is going to do a good job of, like, understanding what direction to push my sound in. Exactly. And, like, oh, this is going to be, like, our first big song. Uh-huh. Do I really want to feature on it? Yeah. Like, this is my band, my territory, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, Patrick, you know, crying over Ray Charles is obviously going to be the thing that makes Travis think, like, oh, there's something going on here that, like, I don't, didn't expect from him. You know, and and it makes me respect Patrick Stump more. Yeah, like of course, of course, that man would cry over Ray Charles's passing. Yeah, and I mean, same with Travis. Travis has tattoos on the backs of his hands that are portraits of Hall and Oates, because uh, those are like his like favorite fucking musical artist of all time is Hall and Oates. Um, so like, you know, crazy I crazy favorite that, artist to have. Yeah, like to that, especially level. now with with. Like, the restraining order that one of them took out against one, the other. when I saw that news, I was like, someone has to fucking check on Travis. Because, like, like, that is the nightmare how? scenario. Like, I have a tattoo of two guys, one on each hand, and then they get a divorce. Like, what do you do? Um, At least it's not the same body part. Yeah, true. Um, <laughs> it's on separate sides. Miserable. But, yeah, like, I think that they both just bonded over having, like, this wide array of, like, unexpected musical influences. Mm-hmm. So they have been a very good, a very good match. Exactly. So Cupid's Chokehold got picked up in May of 2006, like almost a year after the Papercut Chronicles dropped by a Milwaukee radio station um, and grew from there, uh, much to the band's frustration, because while obviously they were happy to break mm. through, the song was like a year old and they were just about to release their next album <laughs> uh, as Cruel as School Children. And they had already recorded it, like, while recording or while touring through 2005. And they wanted their first single to be The Queen and I, um, a track about a relationship. Which I love that song. It's a good fucking song. That's, like, one of my favorite songs off that album. Yeah, it's it's so good. Um, It's a song about a relationship that is struggling under the weight of a partner's alcoholism, uh, which is something that Travis has personal experience with as both someone who has dated an alcoholic and as someone who has been... Uh, an alcoholic and a drug addict Mm -hmm. but however with the newfound success of Cupid's Chokeholds their management and their label was pushing them to promote that song instead so they re-recorded a new version of it to put on As Cruel as School Children Um, they had like a late night show appearance where they were going to play The Queen and I they had that song changed to Cupid's Chokehold at the last minute which was kind of pissing them off um, yeah, I would also be pissed about that. Yeah, like, I'm promoting my new album with a song from my last album. Like, okay. Um, and they also filmed a new music video for it featuring Travis's girlfriend at the time, Katy Perry. Which, wild. Yeah. Like, I think this might be the most, like, names of people that we have said in an episode from, like, the widest Truly. variety <laughs> of, like, places. Like, Katy Perry. Yeah, that that one like that's how everyone started from at least like our scene that everyone started knowing who Katy Perry was like yeah. oh 
the girl who's dating Travis. Genuine. Like, that was where she came from. Like, that was her start. Before she was, like, a big, big pop star, she was, like, almost like an emo darling because people associated her with Travis and Gym Class Heroes and, like, the whole Decadence crew. And people joked that the song You're So Gay was written about Pete Wentz and, you know, shit like that. Mm-hmm. And, like, initially her first, as if I'm recalling correctly, like, fact check me on this if you have Katy Perry lore, P- Katy Perry lore for some reason, like, she initially started off as, like, a acoustic, almost indie-sounding mm-hmm. artist that, like, grew from, she was doing performances with her church or for her church. Yeah. And then eventually stopped being associated with the church and then transitioned into more of a pop sound in this time period of dating Travi. Yeah. So when did, was she on Warp Tour? Um, I want to say... you have that in here? Yeah, I do. Um, okay. We'll, we'll talk about it because I, in- okay. I encountered her on this Warp Tour. <laughs> oh, yeah. We yeah. have to talk about that. <laughs> um, yeah. We have to. <laughs> so As Cruel as School Children comes out, receives... Uh, extremely mixed reviews, which is going to be a running theme in their career. All of their albums receive mixed reviews because no one knows what the fuck to do with these guys. Alternative outlets were praising the album as an instant classic. True. Uh, rap and hip-hop reviewers were offering more middling reviews. Um, which I would understand. Yeah. I, and unfortunately. I, I would understand I, anyone reviewing this and kind of just saying, like, I don't know what to do with this because it is... It does so have its, vastly its different. foot in so many different camps, you know? Yeah. And so, as cruel as, as cruel as school children, why can I not say that? It's well, a tongue twister. It is. It's a rhyme. Uh, featured Patrick Stump on Close Off and William Beckett of the Academy is on Seven Weeks, which is like, I would cry and listen to Seven Weeks so often. It's so good. So, it's such a good fucking song. Yeah. Um. So, gym class and the Academy is... We're tour mates on Warped 06, and William would frequently join Gym Class Heroes on stage to sing seven weeks and grind on Travi. Yeah. I, the most images of them is just of, you know, William just grinding on him so hard. So there is no reason. Like, they're truly just like, like, William is singing and he's holding his microphone. And then, like, Travis is, like, behind him, hands on both hips, like in his hair and it's just like what are we doing what are we doing it's truly like the you versus the guy she told you not to worry about meme except it's like Katy perry versus the william beckett that travis told her not to worry about truly and i i know that like stage gate we've gone over this in our stage gate series if you haven't listened to stage gate series go listen to it they like gym class and the academy is in like gabe He's involved, but he's also not involved in this. But he's involved, but he's yeah. not. Like, but Gabe is involved because Gabe what, was also doing whatever the fuck was going on with William. William but it in feels general. like, <laughs> like it feels like they that was not stage gay. Like no. there, that was not performance. That was not theater. That was something dark and <laughs> twisted. This is that was going on. This is like how I don't perceive whatever the fuck Pete and Patrick are doing as stage gay because I feel like they are also doing that at home. It's like this, right. you know, like not that they're being gay at home, but just that like I think no. Pete has such a genuine like obsession and interest with Patrick, and like and he's like such and he's a touchy feeling guy regardless. Like they both so, just like, are two are halves of the same brain. Normal, <laughs> they're not normal about they're each other. They're not normal and, about each other. 
and Travi was not verbal about like William Beckett would walk on stage or walk into an area and it was like a siren walking into this is the thing a space. it's like this isn't even exclusive to Travis <laughs> this is just like what William Beckett the does William Beckett effect like he enchants people he's just he's just the most beautiful woman that you've ever seen in your life and <laughs> exactly. like he was just walking around warp tour he was always in a shirt that was too small for him so his stomach was always exposed just, he was oh yeah he's wearing those fucking like lace front boot cut jeans i like <laughs> with the stupid little bandana tied around his knee i hate him <laughs> His hair was so long and so, so beautiful. So the day that William Beckett cut his hair, I think a part of my soul died that day. Genuinely, like when like Fast Times at Barrington High came out and he was like, I have short hair now. I was like, I, <laughs> nobody talked to over. me. Yeah. <laughs> nobody talked to so me is, ever okay, again. Okay, so this is the beginning of the end. Yeah. <laughs> um, It's truly just like, oh, like they, they were, they were doing something. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. So while it was, it was that Trek was it, happening. It was called Trek It and Travis will still occasionally post about it on Instagram. Like he'll post like like TikTok fan cams of like 14 <laughs> year olds who weren't crazy. alive at the time being like, oh my God, do you guys ever miss Trek It? And he's like, I do miss Trek It. And it's like, explain what's happening. Explain what's can happening. Just, can you just like call your friend William? Yeah. Who's in Chicago yeah. raising a child? Uh-huh. Like... <laughs> go yeah god like <laughs> it must be crazy to be william's son and have to like observe firsthand that your dad was like the scene bicycle <laughs> and then also like actively be a my chemical romance fan yeah <laughs> and have to know in your heart that your dad was the mikey way of fueled by ramen like i just like i just cannot understand like, the amount of cognitive dissonance that kid must need yeah Cause like, he's like what? He's like fourteen or fifteen or something. Fourteen or fifteen at this point, which is wild to me that Wikipedia nonsense is that old now. Yeah, but <laughs> oh my god, we can't even get to talk about William's kid. No. We gotta talk about something else that was happening in two thousand six, and that would uh, then this event would set Jim Cod's heroes on the track to fame, which is Gabe Saporta starting Cobra Starship. Yep. Because at this point, Midtown had broken up, but Gabe was still locked in a contract with Columbia, basically putting him in limbo of not really base- like being able to do anything. Yeah. And uh, Pete Wentz says about this, we always talk about movie soundtracks. To me, they were really important growing up. And it was this weird time pre-Twilight where they were for a brief second not important. And so this quote now relates to like how this like this whole thing like merged together. And I remember JD, who is Jonathan Daniel, was like, yo, we could do the soundtrack for Snakes on a Plane. And I was like, what is Snakes on a Plane? Famous and last then he explained words. the concept. Famous last words. Then he explained the concept of the movie. I was like, oh, we have to do this. This movie is insane. And then Jonathan Daniel said, Midtown had broken up. So Gabe was trying to figure out what he was going to do next. He had a song called Bring It. And he was working on that had a cool vibe. Siski from the Academy is called and said, there's a movie called Snakes in a Plane that might be the worst movie of all time. We should try to get our song Black Mamba in it. A friend of mine was the music was the music supervisor on the movie, so I called him and asked if we can get the song in. He said they weren't going to be any songs in the movie, only score. But I convinced him to let us do a soundtrack. So we went back to Gabe and I told him he needed to add some parts to bring it to be about Snakes on a Plane. He wasn't super happy with me at the time, <laughs> but he was a team player. <laughs> 
which is crazy because your band is about to be called Cobra Starship. Yeah. Uh, so Gabe Supporta says, I wasn't signed to Cadence yet. I had to get out of my deal at Columbia, but I was working with Crush Management and we were trying to figure out how to do it. With Snakes on the Plane, they put Travi and Will together and it was almost like a Decadence supergroup plus me. Uh, JD, Jonathan Daniels, basically strong-armed Columbia to let me go and we signed to Decadence. I didn't even read the contract. I decided my name is a peace sign. Yeah. <laughs> which is the most... Gabe shit of all time. Yeah. Gabe just being and like, so then, all right, bye. <laughs> all right, peace. Uh, and then Travi says, it was pitched to us like this. This movie is going to be the biggest fucking thing in the world. It's about these snakes on a motherfucking plane and all this shit. To me, it was another opportunity to make a song with my friends, you know? I'm a huge fan of the sounds, and obviously William is my man, and Gabe is my man. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's do this. So we, I cannot, we cannot overstate what a cultural moment in time snakes on a plane was like i actually can't describe it it's like the first time that i watched a movie become like a meme like if this came out yes. if this came out today it would be fully like the morbius experience where like mm -hmm. people would trick the studio into being like put it out again we'll go see it this time and then not see it except yeah. i did see snakes on a plane in theater opening night i was there insane i was there <laughs> And it was absolutely because I was like, I am going to watch Gabe and William and Travi do their little song at the end of this movie. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason that's why. That's the only fucking reason. Um, Travi also went to a screening of the movie. And I was like, this shit <laughs> is fucking horrible. But the video came out awesome. It was better than the movie, to be honest with you. It's true. It's so true. <laughs> and I got to meet Samuel L. Jackson. I'm not mad. When the snake bit the dude's dick, I was like, I'm out. This shit is trash. But I had to wait for Sam Jackson to say, I've had it with these motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane. After that, I went and got wasted with <laughs> Kelly Osbourne. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Osbourne, who was also like always in the scene at the time because she was dating Burt McCracken from The Used. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. How could I forget? So like he was always on the Osbourne show. <laughs> And like Ozzy fucking hated him. Hated hated him. And like for like honestly for good reason. Yeah. Like I mean, we love Bert, but also like if my my daughter was dating that dirtbag, I would be pissed. Like Bert, lovely man, L absolutely lovely. Ma has grown up to be a wonderful man. Stands for all of the correct things. You know, he's just a great dude um at the time like he was fully wearing a kefia at like their reunion shows like fucking nearly oh, 10 years that. ago at this point yeah. no, he, and he was like know what this is this is about freedom for palestine i was like bet dude yeah he's love this no, he's extremely he's cool. been on this beat <laughs> i i i do i love him i respect him a lot if but I, back then <laughs> if my if i was ozzy osborne and my daughter brought him home i'd be like absolutely not i have seen this before I like that that's me 25 years ago we're not doing this get that man out no. of my house like <laughs> but he was in his um, house all the time yeah uh Bert did I think get his life cleaned up to the point that he's not going to be like Ozzy Osbourne when he is that age um yes. I think he is significantly uh I don't know more present uh <laughs> for sure uh so good for him um but like this movie this wasn't an era where bad movies just came out all the time. Yeah. Like, studios were more willing to throw, like, two mil at a shit movie that was going to come out in theaters, maybe break even on, maybe make a little bit more than that. But you would know that it, it was a stupid movie that, like, teen boys were going to go see. Yeah. 
that happened a lot more often than you see now at all like I that mean, era I feel of like dumb it movie still does done. it's just that they're like only dumb marvel movies now you know you don't get dumb yeah original you don't get a story no because it because they don't want to take the chance on a, an original story anymore no. let alone a thing like snakes on a plane yeah like i think the last great series of something like similar to snakes on a plane is like sharknado because they're still making Sharknado movies. Yeah, or like The Meg or some shit like that. I think that they are definitely riding on Snakes on a Plane's coattails. Like, that's absolutely... Still. Like, they were the first, and they just didn't get to keep that, you know? No, because they, they... Did they never make a Snakes on a Plane 2? No. No, what? Good for them. Yeah, they... Good for them. said, we're not do We don't do remakes. We don't do sequels. It stands on its own feet. It is its own complete work, and it's perfect, and there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong with it. And I love that. And I really do respect that. Criterion and edition of Snakes goofing. on a Plane. That's what I want. Yes. The black and white edition, like they did with like Mad Max Fury oh, Road. Oh, my God. When, <laughs> so I, when I played Ghost of Tsushima, there's like three color modes, and one of them is like Kurosawa mode, where it's like they make it black and white, and they apply like a film grain so that it's like an accurate Kurosawa kurosawa movie that's so fucking um, cool actually yeah, it's like do you want to watch rashomon but have it be a video game do this i want them to do that for snakes on a plane i want snakes on a plane right. but it's rashomon and then i want hideo kojima to post about it on instagram <gasps> and on twitter where he like takes his you know how he always takes like an angled photo yes, of like whatever yes, media yes, that he's yes, enjoying yes. like i want that it's <laughs> like artsy angled photo of his ipad or his ipod he's also fully posting photos of like spike from buffy on instagram today oh my god a break from the hunter schaefer content his hunter schaefer posting has been incredible he, like i will be scrolling and being like who is posting this like incredibly horny photo of hunter schaefer and it's like him oh, every Kojima? time it's him okay. every time every time of course who else do you follow is going to be posing horny photos Lesbians? of hunter schaefer it's every Koji- lesbian okay. that i know okay okay fair got me there got me there <laughs> Lesbians Most of the lesbians and, and, that I follow online are posting about like Ji Hyo from Twice, all right? Okay, and Ming Hao from so from, so from Seventeen. No, it's, <laughs> but uh, uh, no, a lot of lesbians that I follow online are posting about um, Blue Eye Samurai, uh, uh, a, a show that I assumed would be racist based on the title, um, and then I watched. Yeah, it, no, it that was sounds actually quite good. Um, no shit. Yeah. Okay. Like they put gender in there, it fucking rules. Um, Hell yeah! Which again. If you want us to do a video game podcast, do not threaten us with a good time. Yeah. (laughs) When we do our Kingdom Hearts podcast, then it's just like set to all the songs that have ever been in. You know what? uh, Kingdom Hearts podcast, but it's only us discussing songs that have been used in Kingdom Hearts AMVs. I love this concept. Yeah. I'm actually so into it. That'll be it. Okay. Moving on. There we go. (laughs) If we ever get a Patreon... We'll put it on there because most of the AMV songs are fucking like Evanescence anyway. So exactly. (laughs) Anyway, so Snakes on a Plane gets released in late August 2006. So while the movie was obviously a flop, it was a hit in our hearts. Yeah. The song was a minor hit uh, and made everyone involved slightly more famous than they had been before. Like they were on the red carpet at the premiere. Yeah. So Cobra Starship obviously skyrocketed from there because a band called Cobra Starship which was just basically Gabe at the time. Yeah. Uh, on the movie called, a soundtrack on a movie called Snakes in a Plane, of course, it's gonna be like, this is fucking hysterical. What's going on with this? Yeah. Um, and Jim Cause Heroes continue to get more serious radio play with Cuba's Chokehold and close off because of the trajectory of this song. Mm-hmm. So, 
then we hit 2007. Yeah. Where Doom Class did not attend Warp Tour, but they did ho- headline their own tour, the Daryl Hall for President Tour, because of Hollow Notes. Yeah. With RX Bandits, POS, and KOS or Chaos. Yeah. Ka- mm, Chaos. Chaos. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, I'm not familiar with their work. I won't lie to you. Um. So this is like mostly like rap and hip hop openers, except for RX Bandits, who are also like ska and reggae. Um. Yeah. So like RX Bandits fucks really incredible like, lineup. Yeah. Like fucking i love, love ska so yeah i mean ska is good ska is good ska is good if you're not listening to ska what the fuck is wrong with you do you not want to hear a little trumpet can't relate do you want to hear the same chord progression yep and every single ska song ever made do you remember that um tumblr post that was like i can only describe ska as like the sound that plays in a 14 year old's head when they bring out the mozzarella sticks Every single time that post gains traction again online, and that's been a popular post now for a couple years now, without fail, every time it goes around again, I will get tagged in it. Yeah. I thought you were going to say, <laughs> I will get mozzarella sticks. And I will get mozzarella sticks. No, it's mostly that everyone sees that post. It's like, that's you. Yeah. That's you in a nutshell. It's, it's true. Because it's true i fucking I, I was known as the ska friend for a really long time which is a weird thing to get known as because i only like i love ska but i guess i listened to it often enough that it, like i gained a reputation for myself yeah. that way i went to work I once know. and i was wearing like really big like work pants from big bud press they're like work trousers with like really deep pockets mm-hmm. um and a black and white checkered shirt and my coworker Elizabeth told me that I looked like I was on my way to a ska show. <laughs> I was like, okay. And what if I the am? Only, you don't know what, what I'm doing after work. <laughs> the only ska show that I've seen live is like basically Shirley Manifesto every single time they're in town because they're a New Jersey like legend at this point. Um, the amount of checker, black and white checker that is on display at these shows is unfathomable yeah and the reason like is there a reason why i love that that pattern is like the checkerboard pattern is when my favorite is because of scott yeah yeah but i don't think i would actively wear it to a scott show it feel it, wearing those the that pattern to a scott show feels very um wearing the band exactly to, to, the, to the to the show which like we've now largely gotten over yeah as a society at that point i remember it used to be a really big like it was a no-no thing back when we were teenagers mm-hmm. like you would you were a fucking loser if you wore the band's merch to the band show but like yeah. now no one gives a shit yeah it's like no yeah. gives a shit anymore you know we're all about loving things cringe is dead yeah cringe is dead um but the point of mentioning this they're on tour uh, because after <laughs> this tour the band returned to the studio to record what would become the quilt i fucking love the quilts I love the mm-hmm. quilt. Um, this album is so fucking good. Um, it did not get the attention that it deserved. Um, I agree. It's just incredible. Um, I will say it took me a little longer to get into this one than like the quilt took me a little bit longer than uh, as cruel school children. Cause I feel like the quilt is very polished while mm-hmm. as cruel school children is not, and has a rougher sound that I enjoyed more. But the more and more I listened to the quilt, I was like, wait, yeah there's there's something special here well it's this is good it's definitely like a more grown-up sound and it's not as Mm -hmm. preoccupied with like being hooky i guess like it doesn't Mm -hmm. like it's not saying like oh we're gonna write like a really good hook that'll grab you it's like we're gonna write a really good entire song that will grab you it's more um it's more 
uh, confident in itself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it has a ton of features on this album, too. Um, yes, it does. They have Estelle on there. The Dream is on two tracks. Buster Rhymes is on two tracks, is on a track. Uh, Daryl Hall is on this album. Um, Crazy. Yeah. I love that Travi, like, finagled his way Genuinely. so hard into being, like, the Hollow Notes fanboy of all time. Apparently, when they reached out to Daryl Hall, they initially reached out to him when they were naming their tour, like, the Daryl Hall for President tour. And he was mm-hmm. kind of like, are they, like, making fun of me? Like, what's the deal here? And, like, Jim Class's management had to be like, no, like, Travis loves you. Like, he has your face tattooed on his hand. Like, he is just a genuine, like, like true believer fan of Hollow Notes. Like, he loves you. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they did eventually get to meet and collaborate on a song together, which is, like, incredible stuff. Like, who gets to, how many people get to do that? Not very many. It's it's really good stuff. I it's also extremely an album that you release right before breaking up or going on hiatus. Mm -hmm. So incredibly so. Yeah. But yeah, you you mentioned that like this is basically a magnum opus in your opinion. Yeah. The fucking like the opening guitar riff on home, which is I wanna Ah, say so good. Like the third last song. It's the twelfth song on this album. It it opens with like this very long and this is like a like a serious like god like rock like classic rock move of just having like a very very long guitar intro before you get to any of the vocals yeah like the song is six minutes six minutes long and it takes four minutes and 30 seconds and you actually get to the vocals yeah and it's like i don't know like uh mcr does it on head first for halos there's like almost a minute of just guitar before you get in there. oh yeah um and it's like like front loaded with like some of the best guitar that you've ever heard Dasashi front loads this song with some of the best fucking guitar that you're ever gonna hear and then when the vocals do come in it is first like gang vocals to support the melody that he's playing mm-hmm. um before it all kind of like falls out and goes into like this more uh like kind of staccato like reggae like bass beat but then he comes back in for the choruses and it's just like fucking incredible like Mm-hmm. truly like this guy deserves his fucking flowers Disashi did not get enough attention no back in he the day. fully he did does not, not. Get enough attention like, now it is absolutely because he is a black man in a black fronted band in a scene that does not appreciate that and yeah yep. like just go listen to his guitar work with gym class heroes go listen to his solo stuff he is incredible truly the quilt was met with extremely mixed reviews as is a the- running theme with the gym class uh, but became the band's highest charting album, mm-hmm. which is pretty wild to me, given that I don't, I cannot recall what it was Cookie Jar that was the title track, right? Yeah, there was a Cookie Jar and there was a Peace Sign Index Down. Right. And I don't remember those getting as much radio play as Cupid's Chokehold and Close Off. No. Um, Catch Me If You Can did pretty well. Um, I don't remember if that was a single or if that was just like because they had it on the Citizens for Our Betterment mixtape. I think I might have just become of, of Citizens for Our Betterment. Yeah, because I think Fall Out Boy released that mixtape ahead of the uh, release of Folia Do, um, and it was kind mm. of teased like alongside the American election campaign. I'm also wearing my Folia Do hoodie right now, which is fun. Yeah, <laughs> um, I got the I don't care one. Oh, I love that. And yeah, Gym Class featured on that mixtape. Um, yeah, yeah, it was uh, what would become Catch Me If You Can with Patrick singing the chorus. Um, very good stuff. Mm-hmm great stuff yeah 
Um, so they took the quilt on tour, uh, headlining Warp Tour 2008 alongside Paramore, the Academia's Cobra Starship, and Katy Perry. Um, it was on this tour that Travis was arrested for assault after an audience member was yelling racial slurs at him and Travis hit him over the head with a microphone. Which, like, why was he arrested? Not the guy yelling slurs. The guy yelling slurs was escorted off the property by security. So I think it was a complicated situation for security and the cops because both people involved in this were black, so they didn't know whose side to take. Um, Mm. Because it was like a black man like yelling racial slurs at another black man. So they were like, well, what the fuck do we do here? And Travis was like, what did you just call me? And called him up onto the stage. So their manager said like, uh, Travis invited him on stage with the intent of calling him out in front of the crowd. So I guess just to be like, why did you call me that? Whatever. Um, Absolutely no intention of a physical altercation, which I believe because I don't think that Travis is stupid enough to say, come on stage and I'm going to attack you with about a million witnesses. Yeah, no. <laughs> when they were trying to help the guy up on stage, the guy hit Travis in the knee area, which has been in a brace because of a recent sprain, forcing Travis to defend himself. At this point, a scuffle broke out. The whole incident is unfortunate. Travis McCoy and Gym Class Heroes are anything but violent. Their message is about racial unity and having a good time. It's amazing that in 2008, there are still people out there who would say such ignorant things. Um, Bob McClin, their manager, adds that McCoy has apologized to Warped Tour's founder and to the band's fans. I personally... The Warped Tour's founder doesn't need any thanking. You don't have to apologize to that man for shit. Kevin Lyman, no. No, no, no. That dude sucks. I'm sure he's thrilled that someone on his tour got arrested um, because he thinks that all press is good press and he loves it when bad things happen to the artists that he is in charge of. Um, Mm -hmm. Anyway, Travis was released on bail. I don't think that anything came of this. Um, and no. the, if anything, it's just mostly frustrating that this is the thing that got publicized about gym class at this time. Yeah. The police did wait until the set was done to arrest him. So like, I'm, oh hell yeah, know, like he wasn't <laughs> super in trouble, I guess. It was just like, well, we have to arrest you because everyone saw that happen. Yeah. It's like, I guess this tour is also the tour that Katy Perry was on, um, where I encountered Katy Perry. <laughs> So let's get into that. <laughs> so um, at Warped, like they have like just kind of like tables set up all over the place where artists are doing like their signings and they're like selling their own merch and shit. Like it's all very casual, I guess. Um, I was leaning against a table, like just like talking with some of my friends at like a tent that like, I don't think had any kind of signage on it. So we were like, mm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, as we're like hanging out there, like a line starts forming at this tent and like in front of this table that I'm leaning against. No one at any point tells me that I have to stop doing that. No one is like, you have right. to go somewhere else because Katy Perry is about to sit three feet away from you to <laughs> to have a signing. Like, I would have thought that security would be like, can you move? No, they don't give a shit. Um, we're just like chatting and like waiting for the next band to go on or whatever that we were planning on seeing. And I finally at one point was like, what is this line for? And uh, one of my friends who's staying in front of me is like, Katy Perry is doing a signing like behind you. And I didn't realize that that meant she was behind me at the moment. Right. (laughs) And (laughs) so I was like, I love this story every time. (laughs) So I was like, immediately go off. And I'm like, I think it is so fucking stupid that Katy Perry is on this tour 
why have we got a pop star here? She is literally only here because her boyfriend is in gym class heroes. Like, it is such a fucking insult to everything that Warped Tour is to have her here. You just like, you know, like... Going off. Going to town. Extremely, extremely teenager. Yeah. Internalized misogyny. Oh, yeah. Going off. I, I mean, I still don't really like Katy Perry. I would not say this to her face. Today, no. I did kind of say it to her face when I was like 15. Um, <laughs> so then one of my friends is kind of like, you have to fucking stop talking because she's literally, she's sitting there, she's looking at you. Like, she's hearing you say that, she's looking at you. And I just kind of like look over my shoulder and see Katy Perry, <laughs> Catherine Perry, <laughs> looking at me saying this about her. And I was just kind of like, we should leave. Like, we, we should go somewhere else. And my friends were like, yeah, no, we probably should. Like, because you're going to make that woman cry. And I was just like, I mean, honestly, I don't think I said anything that's not true. She was only there because she was dating Travis. Um, Literally, because she has no genre similarities to any of those bands on that tour. No. At that time. And it is fully, I think the only reason that she wanted to was because she was dating Travis. I think the only reason that Kevin Lyman let her is because, of course, he's going to let a pop star be on his tour because he loves money. And also, like, I don't. Katy Perry wasn't commercially sex successful yet. Why can I not talk today? I, I am so sorry, listeners. Like I just the words are not coming out of my mouth. I well want to say that she had like just put out uh, her first album. Yeah, like I kissed a girl was out at this point, and it was like on pure volume. Yeah, and like that summer that she was on Warp Tour was the summer that that song got popular, mm -hmm. and it is not lost on me that it probably got popular because of her association. With Travis. Well, yeah. And then Gabe also, with Cobra Starship, put the I Kissed a Boy cover yeah. on the Citizens for Our Benefit mixtape. The better version of that song. Yeah. Absolutely the better version of that song. <laughs> but also, I won't lie, her first album is actually kind of good. No, she... I like her first album a lot. She has some fucking hits. Um, the, first, the, the first two albums were great, and then she fucking shit the bed. <laughs> I think that Thinking After of that. You is a perfect song. I just love it. But unfortunately, she at now kind of thinks that she has to, like, yell everything that she sings. Like, she thinks she's belting. She is, yeah. in fact, just yelling. No, she's yelling. Um, It doesn't sound good. Because, unfortunately, like, her off. voice is actually better well-suited for her original, like, acoustic stuff. And then was like, yeah. I have to be a pop star. Yeah. And it's like, you can be a pop star and not sound the way that you're trying to sound. Look at Carly Rae Jepsen. Look at that. Look at that. Look at, like, I... I also argue at at one point like Florence was one of the, like the pop girlies for like yeah. a little bit, yeah. And then she was like, "I'm more preoccupied with living in my beautiful home, writing haunting tunes than, yeah, you know." Well, because Florence, um, I don't think sets out to be strange. She just doesn't set out to. She just fit is in, so she just is naturally strange and interesting. Yes, I think that Carly Rae Jepsen is also kind of not trying to be a particular way so she just kind of is strange and is. interesting and and making incredible music quite believably a crazy person <laughs> yeah like i don't know she's she's everything uh i think that katie perry should look to her and try to do what that what she's doing i don't think she could do what she's doing not anymore at least no not anymore i wish that she would go back to that kind of singer songwritery like more stripped down pop star Instead of just yelling. Yeah, at me. I, fe I feel like there was. 
it probably still exists somewhere. I'm just like not seeing it, frankly. Of the like buy your bootstraps pop star mm-hmm. that eventually gets big. There there's definitely some girls like that still out there. Have like, you I would almost like considered to... Lord to be to have been like that yeah. way? Yeah. Have you listened to uh Chapel Roan? No. Oh, she's really good. Uh oh hell yeah. I don't listen to new music, is the problem. Lesbian pop star. <laughs> um Love it. Extremely powerful aesthetic. Beautiful, beautiful red hair. Mm-hmm. just incredible incredible artist i love her so much um that's my pop yeah. pop music recommendation for the day the problem is that i keep i'm currently in like a podcast listening phase mm. Wait, so when you start listening to a D podcast like you kind of have to just see it through every single time you have like spare moments of silence yeah to listen to it so i've just been listening to nad pod <laughs> instead of music well listen for, to like, music months Ah, on my music podcast yeah. that I have. You have to. Um, okay, so the quilt was more commercially successful than the previous two albums, but the band had yet to recreate the success of Cupid's Chuckled with like an individual mm-hmm. single. Um, it was at this point after Warp Tour 2008 that the band officially went on a break, uh, taking time to focus on solo projects. They didn't really announce that they were going on like a hiatus no. or anything. They were just kind of like, we're going to do some other stuff. It just kind of like happened. Yeah. Um, but, like, when that happened, we all kind of knew, like, y'all aren't coming back. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, Matt McGinley went on to play drums for Kill the Frontman, which also features members of This Is Hell and uh, former gym class tour mate, I and the Avalanche. Uh, Dasashi had been focusing on a solo project just called Soul. Um, Eric, as far as I can tell, dropped off the earth. As I said before, he is ungoogleable because he shares a name with Julia Roberts' brother. Um, yeah. Hard to find out what that dude was up to yeah and then in 2009 travi and Katy perry broke up everyone saw it coming from a mile away that there was no way that these two were going to stay together yeah uh with both citing travi's ongoing drug addiction as the reason for the split yeah um he honestly has said like yeah like that was my fault um but he has mm-hmm. also said that he felt a little bit like a stepping ladder in that relationship which is fair fair and now even more obvious it's absolutely what happened um yeah though do you remember when katie perry and russell brand got divorced and travis like did an interview where he was like oh she needs me for anything like of course she can reach out and i was like who thought let me go ask travis his opinion on this and why did he agree to do it? Like, right? <laughs> like that is just so fucking weird. Because my first knee jerk thought was like, Travis, who fucking asked? And then I was like, well, obviously somebody asked. Because like, I don't think that he would have just picked up the phone and been like, who's a journalist? Let's listen talk, to me about, talk my about this, you know? Um, so obviously somebody asked, but it's like, <laughs> shut up. Like, <laughs> right? not even Travis shut up. Just like, <laughs> why did you, why did it feel comfortable to ask a man like from several relationships ago uh-huh like this question like so how do you feel about this and he's gonna I, I i'm assuming that he was just like yeah i guess if she wants to talk to me she can but like <laughs> like weird yeah weird choice as a journalist get those, I get those clicks simply would not do it but you know mm-hmm. this was the era where we stopped prioritizing real journalism and started going for clickbait yeah but you know it was this was you know this was like buzznet slowly turning into buzzfeed mm-hmm. we had gawker uh click hole so like facebook was becoming more and more popular for a place to aggregate news and stuff like that so it is unsurprising that a journalist would kind of do something like that mm-hmm. yeah for clicks um 
so while they were all off doing their own thing, Travis um, started releasing some solo music. He spent some time as one half of Tequila Mockingbird, which was kind of like a synthy, mm-hmm. auto-tuny hip-hop collaboration with Nicholas Gamika. Um, Nicholas Gamika. The Nick from before who passed on Jim mm-hmm. Class Heroes' demo to Pete Wentz. Um, who was in the 504 plan, who did web design work, designed the Bart Skull, and founded Friends or Enemies. Um, I forgot that he did that. Yeah. This, like, that was him. This dude is so important. <laughs> Most important dude in the world. Um, Truly. The Tequila Mockingbird music, I honestly am not crazy about. I think the Travis yeah, is I didn't part love of it. it. Is really I tried good. really hard. <laughs> I tried really hard to like it. Yeah. I didn't love it. Like, I think that the stuff that Travis is doing on there is good. I just, I don't love the synth. I don't love Nick's voice. I'm just kind of like... Let my man do this also, by himself. This, this era kind of started seeing the beginnings of the modern EDM scene mm-hmm. where like any it felt like a lot of musicians in the scene were like, know what, let's fuck around and like see what we can do with some synths. Yeah. Saying like what if it was Despite, what if it was dubstep? What if we did that? Yeah. So which is like where we start getting into crunk core and shit oh, <laughs> in the scene. Uh-huh. Remember that? Yep. Uh-huh. And then like, you have bands like Cash Cash coming out and Millionaires and then, of course, 303. And, like, it was kind of the era of the synth in a way that... Yeah. Well, Skrillex... That did not sound... And Skrillex, yeah. Skrillex put out his first uh, EP in 2010. In, like, what, 2010? Yeah. yeah exactly. Well, his first, like, so, Skrillex like that, album, yeah. And also this was when Daft Punk uh, did the soundtrack for Tron. Oh, God, so, yes. Mm-hmm. So like Daft Punk was back in the spotlight, and so this kind of that synthy sound became really du- super duper popular. But people don't realize to make synth sound good, it's actually hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like making a synth beat sound good is a very difficult task, and you do still need a significant degree of musicality to make it sound good. Not to say that Nick Skameka was not a good musician. Or that the crunk, well, the crunk core people were not good musicians and like just ripped whatever <laughs> in the back. Yeah, I didn't but, like, it. like No, and of course, like it sucks that uh, I don't. I, I actually, I no, I'm gonna hold my tongue because I don't know the history of synth uh, synth music as well as I should to make swathing statements. So I'm gonna hold my tongue <laughs> on that one. Okay. But, um, Travis also at this time uh, started releasing his own solo music. So he released his solo album, Lazarus, in June of 2010, uh, with the album's name coming from Travi's own middle name, which is Lazarus, as well as the biblical story of the resurrection of Lazarus of Bethany. Yeah, fucking rules. Um, This is the album where he collaborated with Bruno Mars on the song Mm -hmm. Billionaire, which saw, like, huge commercial success. Oh, yeah. Everyone fucking knew Billionaire. Yeah, like, very good song. Though I think that, I feel like people think of this as, like, a Bruno Mars song, rather than, like... A Travis McCoy song? I think of it as a Travis you know? McCoy song. Well, yeah, but I mean, I feel like if you say like, oh, you know that song? I want to be a billionaire. People are going to be like, oh, yeah, the Bruno Mars song. And it's like, no, like Bruno Mars is featured on it. But like, it's <laughs> it is Travi. I think the same thing happens with uh, another Jim Class Hero song that we're going to mention later. Um, mm-hmm. So while Lazarus is like a very introspective and emotionally honest album, uh, Travi said that he was saving like the rawest emotional work for whatever gym class heroes would decide to put out next and that this was intended to be like more of a fun album which it was which I'm like if this was the fun album yeah damn <laughs> bro <laughs> I mean billionaire's fun oh billionaire is so fun yeah that's a fun song 
So uh, critical reception for Lazarus was mostly positive. The album boasted a huge host of guest artists and producers and featured Travis singing more than rapping, which is like a really fun uh, like like showcase for yeah. him, I guess. His uh, singing for lack of a better word. so nice. So, so beautiful. Like he's got a really um, and then Travi voice. ended up touring the album throughout 2010 with support from Cobra Starship, 303, Bruno Mars, and Pete Woods' side project with BB Rexa, The Black Cards. Remember that? Good God. <laughs> that, that was, that felt like an industry plant. Like, that, that felt like Pete Wentz did not want to actually be doing a project with BB Rexa. It was so weird because he would pose to be like, ah, oh, like, is everyone excited for like my new group, The Black Cards? with bb rexa like, and it's like not really like who? Pete. yeah who i didn't because I, di- I didn't know yet that this was the woman who wrote lucifer who wrote lucifer i didn't know yet that and we should... she was one of the most important artists of our time like ah i didn't know your game like that yeah i like owe you an apology bb um so in 2011 gym class years returned for one last ride uh the paper cut chronicles 2 i'm gonna be so honest i don't love that it's like a sequel album like, yeah, no, that feels it feels a little bit like a cop out and more like, oh, let's try to do a thing that everyone like that basically made us popular. Yeah. In the first place. Um, And it's weird because like then they don't do what made them popular in the first place. They do yeah. a lot of I don't know. It's it's a, I don't like this album. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I think I listened to it once yeah. when it first came out and never again. Same. Um. And so they released the first single for this album on June 9th. Um, and it was Stereo Hearts featuring Adam Levine, another song that I think people think of as like a Maroon 5 song featuring Travis McCoy. No, it's a Gym no. Class Heroes song featuring Adam Levine. I don't like it. Be serious. Um, it's, <laughs> it is not as bad as High Hopes, but it is like Gym Class Heroes' High Hopes. Yeah. I would, yeah, I would describe it that way as well. It was just like, it was played fucking everywhere. You couldn't get away from it. It's not good. Um, Mm -mm. It peaked at number four on the Billboard chart. And, you know, why? 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 I don't know. I think it was the Adam Levine probably of it all. It's the Adam Levine of it all. I don't like that guy. I don't like him. I didn't like him before the whole, like, weird cheating thing on his wife thing came out. No, I mean, I liked Maroon 5. I liked their first album. And then they were like, what if we only sounded bad from now on? Yeah. (laughs) What if I did my falsetto all the fucking time? All the time. It's like, Adam, that's... Just because you can, it doesn't mean that you should. That's only good because you do it sometimes. Yeah. It's a sometimes treat. It's not all the time. And that's, like, how falsettos are designed to be used in music is only sometimes you cannot eat ice cream for every meal or you will stop liking it you have to also eat vegetables which means sing in your mid-range most of the time okay it's it's crazy to me that he's a voice coach when he sounds so bad all the time yeah i don't know why the fuck they ever put him on the voice yeah like i mean i guess he's like just famous enough that people have heard of him and like not so famous that he'll be like no i'm not going to be on the voice um yeah and i guess like like oh here's the rocker guy yeah for the rock sounding people uh-huh. <laughs> and it's fully like a pop star um <laughs> yeah so the band went on to release three more singles prior to the adams the album's release um life goes on Ass Back Home and The Fighter featuring Ryan Tedder of One Republic. 
I, I don't have, crazy future. I don't have much to say about them. I don't like them. Neither do I. It, it is what it is. But like crazy future. Yeah. Yeah. So. So. <laughs> yeah. While all of their albums had received mixed reviews, uh, TPC2 was easily their worst received album yet. And I do not blame them. I do not blame it at all. And then Rolling Stone called it the most charmless album of the year. It did kind of feel like taking out a, uh, it feels like what you would do if you took like Liza Minnelli and decided to roll her out in a wheelchair and put her on stage a little bit yeah. like right now. It's like, and it, it, it made me crazy. Cause I was like, the quilt is so clearly like a last album. Yeah. Like I would have, I think just been happy to let that stand, you know? And I don't yeah. know. It's probably that there was like a contract thing where it was like, well, you have to put out Almost another absolutely. album, you know? absolutely um, a lot of bands will get around that by putting out like a greatest hits record um which i think is why fallout boy had two greatest hits records so close together um yeah but like i don't know i mean they only had three four albums prior to that so like they couldn't exactly do like no and i'm sure that they just didn't want to do that they probably want just to. wanted to make new music but like i don't know a greatest yeah. hits and rarities i think would have been a good idea like throw in some stuff from like head candy and like for the kids Mm -hmm. rather than just say like okay here's our like album every song has a feature um they like don't sound like us it's you know it's whatever um mm -hmm. they released one more single martyrial girls um with like a play on material and martyr great title mm -hmm. um almost a year later in august of 2012 before uh officially calling a hiatus they very briefly return in 2018 uh, to tour with The Offspring and 311. And they had been announced to play the Warp Tour 25th anniversary tour before instead announcing that they would be resuming their hiatus. Yeah. And then in August of 2022, so we're skipping like so many years ahead of time. Mm -hmm. uh, by so many years, I mean four years because it was we we're up at 2018 at this point. Uh, Travis released his second solo album, Never Slept Better. Yeah. To be honest, haven't listened to it. Have nothing to say about nope, it. I genuinely totally missed it coming out. Um Yep. And while it like got really good critical reviews, it also like it just people didn't hear about it. Like I'm not yeah. alone in not knowing that it came out. It like went nowhere. Um so and I then, will give it a listen at some point, but you know, it yeah. it didn't it didn't make a big splash. And then in October of 2022, they were announced for the 2023 When We Were Young Fest alongside old friends The Academy Is. The band's reunion did not include longtime bassist Eric Roberts. He was instead replaced by Ralphie Valencia. Yeah. Um, they supported All Time Low for most of the Sound of Letting Go tour in 2023 before dropping out of the final shows after Travi uh, badmouthed Avril Lavigne during Gym Class Rose's <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, he said, fuck Avril. Uh, allegedly, though, people on... So I, like, was crawling through the all-time low subreddit for people talking about this. A terrible place to be. Yeah. But, you know. Like, I was in hell. Um, and some people were like, yeah, he called her a slut. And some people were like, he literally didn't say slut. He just said fuck her. Um, so Travis is, like, friends with this musical artist named Modson. I think his real name is, like, Derek. Um, him and Avril had been engaged. Avril broke it off. I don't know why. Um, but I guess Travis was like, oh, fuck her. Like, she broke up with my friend. Um. Yeah. Which, like, you don't have to comment on that. 
at, no, at a show. Especially, like, it's actually no. fine. <laughs> um, especially that, That's a little out of pocket. Especially when All Time Low has recently released a song with Avril Lavigne and they're headlining the tour that you're on and you're trying to make a comeback. Um, so during, Not the best thing no. to do. So during ATL's set, Alex Gasgarth, lead singer of All Time Low, says, like, we love Avril... And we are about uh, lifting people up and, like, not putting them down. And then, like, a day later, Jim Class Heroes was like, we're not on the tour. It's because Travis's foot is broken. It's not. But, you know, whatever. Um, Yeah. So I don't know what what made him think that was a good idea. But, you know, it's, you know, I mean, I do know it's that uh, his birthday is one day before mine. So. Mm, Okay. Yeah. Leo shit. So we both say things that we shouldn't sometimes. Though I will say that. I don't say things as stupid as that. It's true. So. I mean, you said something stupid in front of Katy Perry when you were 15, but you were 15. I was 15. And I <laughs> also think that I was correct. So. <laughs> you weren't entirely wrong. No. But, but also it's very rich of like. I was stage. I was just next. <laughs> I was just next to her. <laughs> and a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> just saying shit. Yeah. It is a little rich of uh, all time low to be saying this because 2023 was like peak uh discourse about all time low uh-huh and it's like are how much is this band reputation like you're trying to save face with this tour yeah and trying to uplift women when you have several allegations of for sexual harassment out about several of your band members mm-hmm. and protecting him mm-hmm. so what's going on there yeah like okay fellas Sure, we we care about women, whatever. I don't know. I okay. it's like everyone involved sucks, but like I do still like gym class heroes. So you know, like I, yeah. I, I mean, there's also like degrees of shittiness here, and one is like having sexual assault allegations, and one is saying fuck Avril Lavigne. So I'm like, yeah, like, like I, I am actually gonna have an easier time separating the art from the artist here in this one instance. <laughs> yeah, and also like here's the thing with listening to any of these bands is. There is a past for every single one of these bands. Mm-hmm. None of them are without sin or without fault. It unfortunately is just like what your toleration, yeah, and like more like where your morality lies with some of this shit, and like how much can you separate art from the artist depending on like what has been done and what has been said, yeah. Um, because sometimes it's like, like Jesse Lacey level where it's like I'm genuinely just not going to listen to brand new ever again. Um, no they're not getting my streaming sense ever again no or some of it is like just you know travi saying fuck avril where i'm like well you shouldn't have done that and like i think that was stupid of you um but like it's not like i don't know it's not evil it was just dumb no just stupid like that's that's the thing we always have to keep in mind whenever we like talk about any of these bands is we know you know Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. nostalgia etc etc yeah um, anyway, and then on August first, um, at the Forest Hills date of Fallout Boy, uh, so much for tour dust tour. Travi joined Patrick on stage for the piano medley, performing "Keep It Stroke Cold" with him and announcing that Gym Class Heroes would be returning, uh, probably with new music. Um, which is crazy, and I'm very excited for it, and I really hope that it does a whole lot better and is better than the Hypercut Chronicles two. That would be fantastic fantastic yeah and aren't they playing when we were young this summer they're not playing when we were young this okay. year um okay in my heart of hearts i was like obviously jim classers is gonna be there if cobra's gonna be there then like travi has to be there yeah uh no 
it's I mean maybe. Who knows? Wait, hold up. What were you on? Twenty twenty three. Twenty twenty four. That's the who is performing. Ah wait, hold up. I I'm doing all this looking just to probably see that they're not at all. Yeah. Okay, so somehow I made it up in my head that they're playing. <laughs> no, they were they're like what like in the last one. Not this one. I wish they were. I don't know. I I, I love them. I miss them. I want to see them again. I'm very excited to see what they put out. I want out. to finally see them. I mean, like I'm a little afraid to see what they put out because if it is just like Paper Chronicles to the sequel, then it's gonna be a little like disappointing. Yeah. Like please. But I just hope that they've had enough time cooking that Mm-hmm. like we'll be so back you know yeah and that's like where we're at now with gym class heroes yeah um the rise the fall the rise again hopefully yeah we'll see we'll get in touch for the the next rise Mm-hmm. we'll be here yeah we'll be waiting um speaking of rises and falls or news and keeping in touch with it uh paramore's cover of burning down the house did drop today yep it as a recording which is wednesday january 31st fucking whips um i've been listening it to does it, it so like non-stop good. all day i love it so much um incredible incredible stuff hell yeah like and that's a and that's a wrap on gym class i think yeah let's um, go team yeah fuck yeah so go listen to their first three albums and yep. go listen to, listen to Dasashi's solo stuff and go listen to Travi's solo stuff. Um, just truly, truly amazing work. And if you've listened to his second album, his second solo album, let us know. Yeah. Like, is it good? I mean, I'm going to find out later today. Good? But like, <laughs> probably let me know. But like, I want to know your opinion mm-hmm. using hashtag so emo pod or adding us on Instagram and uh, Twitter at so emo pod. Yeah. Um, Natty plug. Do we want to, are we doing this for album re-listens only? Or are we doing this for everyone? Are they emo or are they not? Oh, that would be fun yeah. to do. I feel like emo, they are not. No? I don't know. I feel like, I feel like they're close enough. I feel like Travis sang enough about being depressed that, that I think we get to call him emo. Okay, you got me there. They were emotional. Because here's the thing. It's like... This is the always we're always going to get in the weeds on this, yeah. you know, because emo has had several different waves at this point. It is a distinct genre from pop punk. It is a distinct genre from metalcore. It is a distinct genre from whatever the hell was going on in Decadence too. Yeah, but all of them were a part of the same scene at the same time. For for the most part, most of them are at the same same scene, same time, mm-hmm. same place. That it is hard to draw hard delineations for genre yeah. here other fa- like other emo people get real mad at you mm-hmm. when you say shit like all-time lows emo because they're not but you cannot deny that like they were in the same scene same time same like, place they're in the same scene but i also just like wouldn't say all-time low is emo because they're not sad enough no it's like definitely pop punk they're for going me, punk. to parties you know yeah they're they not looking at their sh- having sex. Yeah. They are drinking. <laughs> but like they're happy about drinking. You know? Yeah, like it's fun. Um, it's fun drinking. And when Gym Class Heroes is like, I'm drinking, but like I'm not happy that I'm drinking. No, um, I'm so sad. Yeah. I'm in a relationship, but like it's not good. Um 
So I, I, I would say, I would say emo, yes. Yes. Okay, lyrically, yes, emo. Sonically, maybe not so much. Sonically, emo sometimes. Okay, sonically, emo sometimes. Yeah. They're a, a fair weather emo band. Yeah, yeah. Let's put it that way. Sure. That we let's be let that's be the judicial one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that is it for us on So Emo I Fell Apart. As per usual, please follow us, subscribe to us on your podcatcher of choice. Um, and if you like what we do here, leave us a review. We got our first four star review the other day, so shout out to you for uh, whoever is a listener and gave us four stars. You I appreciate the honesty. You're on an it. angel. I love you. Thank you. You're an angel. We appreciate the criticism, even if it was just through uh, numerical. It was just through the star rating and not through a comment. <laughs> but if you like what, like, if you have enough to say about what we do here, please leave us a comment maybe on Apple Podcasts. Uh, maybe it's like that person who was like, I don't give anything a five star rating because only God is perfect. So <laughs> true. There we go. So I'm choosing um, to interpret that. <laughs> I'm, I'm choosing to interpret that. So, yeah, like, again, rating, reviewing, subscribing, all of that, like, helps boost us in the algorithm if you like what we do here share it with your friends share it with the scene we love it um follow us uh at so emo pod on all the things and we and uh the other one is use hashtag so emo pod to get in contact with us if you don't want to add us directly either channel we will see what you say to us yeah so with that we'll see you later au revoir bye lights camera Adaptations. Ever watched your favorite book become a movie and said, huh, well that certainly was a weird decision? Of course you have. Hollywood is constantly making changes for their adaptations, and this podcast aims to answer the question of why. Join host Emma Shannon and a different guest every month on Unnatural Selection, a new Moonshot Network podcast, as they talk about a film, its source material, and what makes an adaptation good faithful, and less commonly, good and faithful. Check out episode one, coming to a podcatcher near you on February 15th.